Sorry about that. Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. I want to welcome you to our morning worship service. Uh, your regulars and any of your guests this morning, I hope that you have just a wonderful time here at, at this um, gathering together as we worship God. Um, this morning, uh, just looking at the bulletin, so, uh, just a couple of announcements. Uh, the, continuing uh, the announcement there of the women's retreat that will be uh, located in Lubbock, Texas. And if you have need information, uh, you can also talk to uh, the women's ministry. Or I'm not sure who you talk to there, but um, there are other. Uh, Priscilla, I'm not sure who you talk to about. Priscilla? Okay. If you need more information, you can talk to Priscilla about it, about the upcoming retreat for the women. And continuing there, also in your bulletin, the ministries here at Paso Bible Church, the youth ministries going on, and also the ministries that are listed in the back there for your, for your prayer on a daily basis, if that's what you desire to do. Um, so this morning, as we continue this morning with our pastor's message, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, as I read a couple of verses out of there, chap, uh, verses 34 and 35 in preparation for our pastor's message. Beginning with verse 34, it says, Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much this morning for allowing us to be here. It just reminds me of a, of a songwriter that says, Breathing in your grace and breathing out your praise. I pray, Father, this morning, by being here, Father, we will do just that. We will just praise you for who you are, for being such a good, good Father. And we thank you, Father, for everyone that is here, Father, because we know that your word will be uh, taught as you lead our pastor, Father, in the message this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for your goodness throughout our lives. And no matter where we are, no matter where we go, Father, we know that your spirit is present. And we thank you, Lord, that we're never alone. You never leave us nor forsake us. That's an encouraging fact in our lives and our hope. Because that allows us then to hope for our Lord Jesus Christ's return when he does. That blessed hope, Father, that we look forward to. So this morning, Lord, I just pray for those that aren't able to be here with us. We pray that um, you should be with them just as well, Father, and, and extend your grace to them this morning, Father, wherever they are. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that uh, this time together will be honoring to you. It will be a blessing, and that we can just not only sing our praise, Father, but also from our hearts this morning. I ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Would you stand with us for a time of worship? Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. 
Teach me some melodious sonnets Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mountain fixed upon it To thy redeeming Jesus 
who would care that much about me? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Oh. He makes a way where there ain't no way. Rises up from the So blessed, hallelujah, blessed. I'm so blessed. 
You guys may be seated. Well, good morning. morning. Y'all are doing well. Uh, Children, you guys can go on to Children's Church uh, if that's what you're doing today. Clay knows what he's doing today. The rest of y'all can follow suit there. All right. Hope y'all are doing well. We're going to be in 1 Peter again this morning. I want to remind you of a couple of announcements that I mentioned last week, and one of those is usually we get we're, we're too late to really do a good job of this. Uh, two things. Uh, one is our Samaritan's Purse uh, gift collection. I don't have my props with me today. Priscilla, can you have a box there? Wave the box. This box. You need three things for that box. It comes with a label. It comes with instructions. It comes with the box. So I would avail yourself of those three things. They're due sometime at the beginning of November. Um, so go ahead and get them. Uh, make sure you don't stick like fireworks and knives, ammunition, you know, any Texas stuff in there because they get shipped all over the world and, well, they don't allow that stuff everywhere. So that's why you need the list, right? Because your normal Christmas gifts, right? You put a box of nine millimeter in a stocking every once in a while, can't put that in the box, right? Can't do that. So get those three things. The other thing, other thing that we want to mention because it's pretty far in advance um, is that we are looking forward to our congregational meeting, um, and we are constitutionally, there's an opportunity for people to nominate uh, people, other men, not people, men, men. If you're confused about that, come talk to me later. Men for deacons and elders. Uh, here at El Paso Bible Church, those offices are limited to men. Not people who identify as men. Hopefully, if you're a man, you identify as one. So I won't even exclude that. But men uh, for that role. Um, and if you would like to look over the biblical qualifications, because those are relevant, First uh, Timothy 3 uh, is a good place to go look. Um, and I have searchable a number of messages on those qualifications if you want to look, if you have questions about the interpretation. Or you can come ask me. You can ask one of the elders. Um, but we do have, we're, we are considering folks for that um, and uh, like to get ahead of it a little bit rather than, you know, every once in a while we act like we know what we're doing, you know, so we're doing that this time. All right, so those are two things I want to remind you of. Those are open to, uh, to you as opportunities to minister. Uh, but we're continuing this morning in First Peter. And 1 Peter has just been a blessing to me. I've, I have actually taught 1 Peter before many years ago uh, here at El Paso Bible Church and as well as uh, in Sunday school, actually, at another staff position that I was at for a short time. Um, but it has blessed me more this time than the other two times, and I find that to be true with Scripture. One of the reasons that even with my adult ADD problems that I can tolerate uh, studying Scripture uh, as a vocation is because this is the dynamic. The dynamic is that every time you approach an old text, you come in with a new understanding, not a new truth perhaps, but a new understanding of how it applies, the application of it, uh, its relevancy, and how to teach others, how to counsel others, how, how it's relevant. So that happens. Um, Occasionally, you do find out you made a mistake, hypothetically. 
You might have made a mistake in understanding a text before. Not you guys, just me, you know. Ha ha. Ha ha. You guys missed the joke. That's okay. So our identity, right, we've talked about this, and I think this is really appropriate, that we are choice aliens, right? That we have this purpose that we have to embrace. It is a matter of volition. We talked about this in, in Sunday school, that that God is glorified in the life of His children in both blessing and discipline. In fact, you might even say that the discipline is a blessing. And children don't like for me to talk about discipline as a blessing. No, they don't like that. Discipline is a blessing. But God is glorified in His children's lives, whether they are walking obediently and receiving abundance and blessing and rest as a result, or possibly suffering, looking forward to the result of blessing in the future, Um, or whether they're walking without obedience and receiving discipline. We're choice aliens. We have this purpose to accomplish that we should embrace. That is the best case scenario uh, that we are here to minister according to the grace of Christ. And he gives us rules, really more of guidelines, right? Because rules, commandments, instructions for us to embrace that properly according to his will. Um, He's given us an identity which gives us blessings as those who are born again, who are looking forward to the future of blessing in the presence of God when we'll receive an inheritance that is ready and reserved for us. In this life, we have blessings. We have the Word of God, and our obligation then is to love it to long for it, to seek it out, to seek to understand it, to embrace it, to apply it to our lives, and to, to take it as a whole. I'll say that. Because a lot of people, I don't think you're going to find a church in America that says that they don't take the Word of God seriously, that they don't interpret it as truth. And then you find out their perspective on what that means. They may not even believe that truth actually exists in an objective way, um, that they only go through and pick the parts of the Bible that make them smile. That's what Judges is there for, right, guys, since we're in Sunday school? Judges is there to just make you smile at every turn. No, but you dare not avoid the lessons learned in the book of Judges about who God is and about who Israel is and how he interacts with them graciously. Long for the Word. Part of the reason is so that we can know how to love one another from the heart, one of our other obligations, and so that we can know what the definition of excellent behavior is, because Peter has told us that our obligation also is to keep our behavior excellent among the nations, right? And that's one of the reasons that we are aliens in this world, is because the unified whole of the church is dispersed among the nations, So there's no legal code that is going to jump in for us and tell us how we ought to behave. Not even the legal code of the United States. Doesn't function that way for choice aliens who are dispersed among the nations. The unity of behavior that should exist despite your nationality or your earthly citizenship. The instructions are the same no matter where we find ourselves. So we're to keep our behavior excellent, understanding that we're looking at God's discernment, God's determination of what is excellent and what is right, knowing that in the temporal realm, 
the here and now on this earth with our hearts beating and our lungs pumping air in and out. Most of our synapses are firing. Y'all had coffee this morning. See, if you have a coffee with a donut, I found out your synapses stay about the same for me, right? So, it, uh, so I have to avoid one and only have the other. But we're here, we're functioning, we understand that in this life, in the temporal realm, that doing what is excellent cannot be judged based on your immediate experience, based on the immediate consequence. Because Peter says that it is better to suffer for doing what is right, always. He gave us two good examples of that, Jesus and Noah. It is always better to suffer for doing what is right. Why would he give you that command if you shouldn't have that expectation? Guys, this is part of the smiley part of the Bible. This is part of the smiley part. The New Testament, everybody loves the New Testament, you know, as long as they can pick through the cherries in the basket. He says we, we should expect that, not always, right, but that when we suffer for doing what is right, we understand the word because we've longed for it and we love one another and we're keeping our behavior excellent. This chain of events takes place and we're doing what is right and we suffer for it. We find ourselves in a position of faith because we are entrusting the, the consequences and the, the rewards and the results of our lives to a faithful creator who himself always does what is right. Always does what is right. You cannot come, guys, into my office and expect me to always do everything exactly right. You cannot call Bill or Ernie or even Jacob. Everybody loves Jacob. Jacob has never made a mistake, man. You can't go to any of the elders at El Paso Bible Church, as godly men as they are, as faithful as they are, and expect them to always do what is right or to always tell you the right thing to do. We screw up sometimes. Sometimes. But in your life, your responsibility is to know what is right to, and to do what is right and to understand that even if you suffer for it, that God is faithful and he always does what is right. Always. Now, it's no accident that after that discussion, Peter has a therefore and he talks about elders. If you want to hear stories about people suffering for doing what is right, find somebody who's been an elder in a local church for 40 years or 30 years or 20 years or 10 years or 10 minutes. We get them initiated pretty quick a lot of times. Maybe not 10 minutes. How about 10 months? 10 months. Something's going to happen. The average church, I think they say, experiences a potential splitting event every four to five years. So how long do you think the honeymoon period for an elder is? It's going to be shorter than that most of the time on average. I'm not saying they split every four or five years, but they experience an event that could split them every four or five years. Usually it's the pastor leaving. Because they only last every two or three years, you know. 
Anyway, it's a mess. Elders often are in the position where they suffer for doing what is right. They are often exhibit A for how it is that you must live your life in a way that entrusts your life, the product of your life, to a faithful creator who always does what is right and to look to the future to live, in a sense, kind of prophetically, knowing that the present is not exactly how it's always going to be. In fact, it's going to be radically different, radically different. from the moment that we are with Jesus and forever. We need to entrust ourselves to him. Shepherds who shepherd the flock look towards Jesus in a unique way as being the great shepherd. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He is the archetype, the supreme, absolute shepherd. And the shepherds under him... The elders who shepherd according to these standards in a unique way entrust themselves to his judgment. And that's why I think it's a unique relationship. That's why there's a unique reward for it. The unfading crown of glory. And when I ask you guys to nominate somebody to be an elder at El Paso Bible Church, I'm asking you one to look at a character that is able to live with that type of motivation. To be satisfied with that prophetic future motivation. Because it doesn't, you know, I get paid, right? The other guys, you know, they they do it for, for nothing, for free. There's not a lot. Why do you get up and go to work, guys? Why do you get up and go to work? Because we like to eat. Right? We like to eat. We like to have a place to live. And normally, until fairly recently, you pretty much needed to work to do that. Pretty much. Why are you an elder? Why would you be an elder? especially a non-vocational elder, an unpaid elder, because you are capable. It's not because you're a sadist. It's not because you love suffering. It's not because you love getting accused of things that you didn't do or motivations you didn't have. Anybody love that? No? I don't even like to have people criticize me for the reasons that I actually did something, but half of them are just made up, fabrications. You did that because you hate women. (laughs) You don't love children. I have six of them. I love children. Women, too. No problem there. A friend of mine really wanted to get in trouble. Somebody asked him once, years ago, we were in seminary. He had just graduated. Somebody asked him, what do you think about women in the church? That was a, a big debate at the time. Lots of buck. So I'm against them. Was it in pastoral ministry at the time? That's the wrong answer. It's hard enough when people criticize your actual motivations and your actual actions. 
right? The elders who rule well is what Paul says. The elders who function, who shepherd the flock this way, look to a unique reward. And that's uniquely connected, right, to the next phrase. I, I don't know why they made this another verse. They did. You younger men, likewise. Hupatasso, your elders. This is when people tell me I don't like women. When I tell them that Ephesians 5 tells wives to obey their husbands. Hupatasso. It means nothing about value, means nothing about essence, has everything to do with function. As we said back in Ephesians 5, if you have six generals in a room, you guys can verify this for me if you've been in the military, there are not six generals in command, correct? Because the army may be dumb in some ways, but it ain't dumb in that one. You can't have six people in charge. You've got to have one person that is in charge. Equal rank, one person in charge. That's when you use hupatasso. So in a sense, yes, it is submission of your intrinsic rights for the sake of the office, the role that you've been given. I say that because a lot of people don't understand the relationship between the older men and the younger men in a church. In fact, see, we work hard on this at El Paso Bible Church, and people don't understand why we do things like the triple B. The reason we do the triple B is so that the young men know the old men. I cannot tell you how many times I've been in church in my life where the older men and the younger men don't even cross paths, much less know each other's names or what they're struggling with or what to pray for or how they're struggling, how they're suffering. Guys, if you have men, young men in your home today that are, let's say, you know, 13 and up, the struggles that they have now and are going to have for the next decades of their life are radically different than the ones that you and I and people older than me have experienced. And you better know, you may decide like I decided to be a stubborn, intractable caveman and establish a biblical patriarchy in your home because you know that it is the only way to survive this garbage It is the only way to be still standing when the rest of it falls down around your ears. But you need to know that on purpose. You shouldn't make that decision ignorantly. I'm no longer a conservative in a lot of ways, guys. I'm a reactionary. You know the difference? Conservatives just slow the corruption. Reactionaries try to fix the problem. Conservatism failed a long time ago. You wonder why there's no difference anymore, right? Why the the mayor of Dallas just flipped a light switch and became a Republican? Did that goofball change a single thing about his perspective, about his values? No. We just made it easy for him. That's what everybody else did. Regardless. We, we try hard at this. This is another thing that people 
question motivations they presume I have. They think I just want to drink beer. So we have a triple B. Nope. That has nothing to do with it. You just like to eat steak. I'm so sick of steak. You know what I've been eating for a lot since May? Steak, hamburger, eggs, bacon. To some of you, it sounds like God's own diet, and it does for about six days, unless you're a foodie. Guys, I am not... Uh, uh, nothing to do with it. You know what I, why we continue to do it is because when I go to the Triple B, we have about 30 guys set, and there is no stratification... Not one between the young men and the old men. You will find people that are 14 talking to people who are 81. You will find people who are 45 talking to people who are 11 or 17 or 22. People who are married, newly married, about to be married, talking to people who have been married for 40 years. In my experience, that does not exist in the evangelical church in the United States. Largely because two things, two things. The church in the United States is massively effeminate. Even the leadership in most evangelical churches may be male, but they have a female mindset about how they do things. We need to stop apologizing to other believers for being men and understand the role that God has established in the church for men to lead. This is connected, by the way. Because that's the connection. Elders, suffer, suffer. Embrace suffering for doing what is right. Do it anyway. Look forward prophetically to the future to the faithfulness of the, the creator who does what is right, to the great shepherd who treats and understands and empathizes with the necessities of being a shepherd. And then he addresses the young men. Same context, same therefore. Young men, you need to understand that doing what is right is going to cause you to suffer. That does not need to be a surprise. What you need to know is the rest of us who are committed to doing what God's Word says is right have embraced suffering. It's interesting the word he uses. Young men also, likewise. Be obedient to your elders. The word isn't... Naskoi is the normal word for young men. This is neoteroi. You know what that kind of... Just new noobs, right? There for several years. My son's called everybody a noob. Everybody. Me. So we have a pretty decent relationship if you think you can get away with that. Call my dad a noob. I wouldn't be standing before you today. I'm so genteel and progressive. Mm. That's the kind of the terminology. Hey, newbies. Now, this is why he's not just talking to kids. He's not just talking to young men in general. What he's talking about them is within the structure of the local church, these are young men who are noobs to leadership. 
actually. That's how I take it. They're not holding an office, but they are people who will hold the office. They are the people who will get nominated for the office, like in our structure. I'm not sure that's how that happened back then, but that's how we do it. You need to listen to them, noobs, because you don't know what you don't know. You do not know what this requires. You do not know. You don't know what shepherding entails. And you don't know what it requires of a person, of a man, to do it willingly, without compulsion, without greed but simply for the reward that Christ promises. And you need to know. And you're not going to learn it from an effeminate church leadership because they're not doing it. They're not doing it. So you can't learn from them. You have to have elders who are shepherding this way. Young men, you need to follow their direction, their instruction, and obey it so that you're not crushed. Because most churches slap people onto boards. We talked about this, right? There's a difference between those who are qualified for an office and those who are able to do the work or willing to do the work, willing to do it for the right reasons. It is, as hard as it is to find somebody who's qualified to hold the office, you can find a warm body who is qualified to fit the office who will be crushed by the workload, by the pressures of it, by the criticisms of it, if they're just, if we just back the truck up. We don't want to put you in that position. We don't want to put you in that position. I don't. And I do my best to keep people from having this happen to them. The vast majority of guys that were with me at Dallas uh, that I knew, y'all understand, that's a fairly small circle. I was working three jobs and had four kids at home while I was in my master's degree program. I didn't have a lot of just social life at school. But the ones that I knew in the pastoral ministries department, most of them didn't make it past their first average length tenure at their first church. The ones that are still in ministry are not in local church ministry for the most part. Because it's easier to edit books for a parachurch ministry (laughs) or something than it is to embrace the shepherding ministry in the local church. I'm not speaking from ignorance, I'm not just speaking hypothetically. I have watched people act like they just had a bomb dropped on their house in pastoral ministry. So noobs, noobs, listen to the elders, please. Listen, follow their instructions, follow their directions. Anybody and any, nobody wants to admit to ignorance anymore, right? That's how you get you, you refer to something that used to be called gender dysphoria as simply embracing yourself. Nobody wants to be told that they're ignorant 
That's not a moral judgment, right? To not know something, praise Jesus, right? (laughs) But you do need to acknowledge it. And I'm telling you that you're ignorant, not as a judgment, but that you need to understand it. If you do, you lack experience. You lack instruction. It's a basic management principle, right? Now, elders, listen. I don't know. I haven't been around on the earth as long as this church has. It beat me by a few years. I certainly don't know the whole history of the church, but I don't know the baggage of leadership. I do know that there has got to be some. Here's the thing. This is, a, this is a business principle, actually. I find that business doesn't do it anymore either. But if I tell somebody to do something, this is basic management, and they do it and it goes sideways, that's on me. That's on me. I do not throw people under the bus, and I say that because as a pastor and in business, I've spent a lot of time staring at the undercarriage of a dadgum bus. We don't throw people under the bus at El Paso Bible Church when they've been faithful and obedient to follow the instructions the elders have given them. I'm not saying we're perfect, and I'm not saying that no one ever perceived us as having done that. But that is a verse incongruent with our philosophy of ministry. That's how you run people off from serving. But on the flip side, noobs, we love you, but this presupposes that you're serving. I can't give you instructions if you're committed to doing nothing. If you're committed to sitting on your tail in a pew and doing nothing, then I can't I'm not going to tell you tell you to do anything. I don't I'm not a bush beater. You know I you know I don't go around beating the bushes. If you're a believer and the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, then you should come to the point that you love the local church and desire to serve. Guys, and we we have a very high rate of service here. But you do need to approach it with some humility. That's connected as well. We're going to get to that verse here in a minute. But you need to be able to receive instructions, right? It's actually about a father-son relationship. A quote that I read years ago, it said, When I was uh, a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could barely stand to have the old man around. By the time I turned to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. By the time I turned 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. That's attributed to Mark Twain. I think Mark Twain died before that quote was on record. But, you know, Abraham Lincoln tells us not to trust everything on the Internet these days. So take it with a grain of salt. Guys, it does take some humility to receive instruction. And you do need to do it. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
See, I love these passages. I don't even have to ask anybody to raise their hand. It's all of you, all of you believers in a local church. Clothe yourselves with humility. The idea behind the picture, right? We, we, know, we know the picture, but we probably ought to analyze it a little bit because we just assume, are you born with clothes? No. You know, when they open a coffin up, it's full of dust and clothes. It's not an intrinsic part of you. Right? When my dad was being prepared to be buried, we made sure that he had his tape measure and his little pencil on the little elastic string thing. Because everywhere he went, he had that on. But he wasn't born that way. You might have thought he was born that way. <laughs> and he had it so regularly. He wasn't born that way. Clothing yourself with something is to embrace something, to adopt an identity that is not yours intrinsically. I would hope that most of y'all are truthful enough that if I asked you, were you born with humility, you would understand that that's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. No one's born. You're all born little narcissists. You ever had a baby in your house? Everything is about the baby. Everything. Full diaper, baby. Empty stomach, baby. Loud noises, baby. Too quiet, baby. You were born narcissists. You weren't born humble. Poor babies, rich babies, middle-income babies are all narcissists. We love them. And pray they don't stay that way. Didn't work, right? <laughs> anyway, that's another topic. But you clothe yourself with things that you're not born with. We are clothed with Christ. We are clothed with His righteousness is the picture because we don't have any of our own. So we are clothed with it, Paul tells us in Galatians. We're not born that way, but we are to behave as those who are imputed with it. We're to embrace the identity. Right? None of us are even Moses. Can you believe Moses? Numbers 12, 3. Now the man Moses was very humble more than any other man who was on the face of the earth. Y'all know Moses wrote that, right? You ain't even as good as Moses. Most of us really don't intrinsically possess vast quantities of humility. In fact, our society doesn't really admire humility. I will say that the, the most accomplished men and women that I know are frequently far more humble than the people who haven't achieved anything, relatively speaking. A good reason, guys, to pursue learning things and growing because it forges your character into ways that are impossible in other circumstances. But... The command is not to feel a certain way, though. It's not to, to grasp hold of the intangible character quality of humility, because that's a thing. That's a thing. Remember, you're supposed to embrace the identity. Act humbly. 
When you're told that you're clothed with Christ, you're supposed to act like Jesus. That's, that's the application. You are in him, that's your identity. Clothe yourself with him. Let's start behaving that way. That's this, start behaving. Start behaving in a humble manner. Now that, a lot of times you would say that to your, your local effeminate evangelical local church. Jelly, you know what I mean? Can't nail it to a wall, can't pin it down. Leaves a mess all over the floor when you drop it. And they'll tell you that's hypocrisy. Well, that's not how I feel. I don't care how you feel. I do not give two figs how you feel about this. Do I need to be clearer? Should I come up with some more adjectives? I'm good with adjectives. The command has nothing to do with how you feel. There are commands about how you feel. You're supposed to modify how you feel about the Word of God. If you think the Word of God is boring, noobs especially, because this is a common problem, you need to grow up. You need to mature because the command is to long for the pure milk of the word like a baby. Don't get bored by it. Stop it. That's something of a command and that's supposed to direct your emotions, right? So that's okay, but this isn't it. This is, this is about your behavior. It's not hypocrisy. It's maturity. Yeah? You're up a creek without a canoe if you try to tell a three-year-old to feel humble. They need to behave in a humble way and see the blessing that it is to respond in personal relationships with humility. We need the same. To behave in a humble manner, clothe ourselves with humility in our relationships with each other. God is concerned with the internals. Yes, you should develop the character quality, the intangible emotional quality of being humble, but that's not going to affect your personal relationships, is it? Not really. I have never heard somebody say that person has such an emotive quality of humility. How do you know somebody's humble? You have somebody with three PhDs come speak at your church and they say, no, I don't need an introduction. I'm just going to teach the Word. Let the Word do the work. You don't need my resume. Maybe. Maybe. That's humility. Not hypocrisy, it's maturity. And if we allow people to define maturity as hypocrisy, the results are going to be very predictable. It's good to feel humble, but the command is to act in a humble manner. It says, he quotes Scripture here, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now here's where you need to understand grace means favor. Favor. Right, because there's a whole theological category of people who have determined that grace simply means selection. 
And there's no actual favor involved, literally. There's no favor involved. They simply are talking about choice. God has chosen you, they will say, for eternal life. But lest you think that you earned it or something. Well, no, it, it has nothing to do with favor. He didn't favor you. He just simply chose you. I think you need to go back to the Bible and study the word grace. Because that's, the grace that grants you eternal life is not the only grace that God grants, and it's not the only one that is present in Scripture. He's not even the only one that's being gracious. Humans are described as giving grace to people, favor to people. What that passage says is that if you're acting proudly, you should not expect God to help you behave proudly towards His children. But you should expect His favor and blessing in your life when you're acting humbly within the family, within the household of God. Easy? See, understanding the Word, that's easy. Just favor. It's a big deal. Like the difference between being opposed by God and being favored by God, that's a big deal. That could ruin your whole, like, day, right? Week, month, year, life. If you spend it outside of the realm of humility and God is opposing your behavior your whole life, might that put the brakes on a few things? Maybe? Kind of like those homemade speed bumps in Juarez, Jacob, right? They weren't there yesterday, they are there today. If you're prideful and you think you just fly over it, it's going to stop your car. It might break your axle. They mean business when they make the, the homemade ones. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. So here, again, there's this inversion, right? We do what is right, knowing that in the future, God rewards that. But in the interim, we have suffering. The world doesn't understand that. The world doesn't grasp it. The world will not validate it as a successful way to live your life, but it is true. Here, here, you are to humble yourself so that God will exalt you in the proper time. The faithful creator who always does what is right, he will exalt you for that. He promised that to the apostles, right? Many who are first shall be last. God will exalt you in the proper time. Humble yourselves. Now, that means that nobody has the spiritual gift of being a humility enforcer. Right? It is not my job to humble you. It might be the Word of God. It might be the Holy Spirit. People occasionally accuse me of preaching to them and their particular sin problem. I've never done that in my whole life. But if the shoe fits from the Word of God, don't ignore it either. Just don't presume that that's my motivation. I, am not, I don't have the spiritual gift of being the humility enforcer, and nobody in this room does, and nobody who will ever be in this room will. Because the command is to humble yourselves. 
you need to take responsibility for your humble character and humble behavior, and I need to do the same. We don't require external motivation or external force, but that's the key to exaltation in this countercultural alien environment that we exist as, the choice aliens. We suffer so that we can be rewarded. We serve so that God will glorify us as servants. We humble ourselves so that we can be exalted. And sometimes we still run around and wonder why the world thinks we're weird. Stop wondering that. Just embrace it. Just embrace it. Humble yourselves, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I think that's that phrase, that just that portion of that verse is an Awana verse, isn't it? It may even be cubbies, like it may be short enough for cubbies. It's not a standalone sentence. The imperative is to humble yourselves, and the way you humble yourself is by casting your anxieties upon him. Now, that's not normal, right? You, you think about the things that disrupt your life with anxiety. You think about the other end of the spectrum of anxiety to be peace, yeah? Joy. What's usually on the other side of humility of the spectrum? Pride. Most people, when they come to me and say, I'm experiencing anxiety, do not want to hear me say, your problem is pride. But often it is. Your problem is pride. Now, it may produce a lack of peace or a lack of joy, but the root is pride How much of anxiety in your life is caused by the way people perceive you? Anybody? A lot. What do you get up worried about? Most of you do not get up and and worry about where breakfast is coming from. There are many people in the world who do that. If that is a problem for you, let me know because I am swimming in eggs right now and you can have as many as you want. But that's not the normal problem in, in this local church and in our local church. I would venture to guess that the vast majority of your anxieties are caused by pridefulness on your part, my part, definitely my part, in regards to how people perceive me and my work. So you want to stick a knife thousand people can think I'm a rock star. One person thinks I'm trash. My pride kicks in. And anxiety kicks in. So it's valid, I think. A lot of our anxieties are caused by pride. Cast all your cares upon him. Cast all your cares upon him because that's not what he wants for you. He cares for you. He cares for me. 
has deep and abiding concern for your well-being. He doesn't just throw out the, the agape word. That's, that would be the Sunday school answer, right? Jesus, agape. An abiding, interpersonal, loving concern. Have you ever you sat probably across from a human like that? Haven't you? You realize you spent three hours and they never said anything about themselves? No? Y'all need to get better friends. I've had a few experiences like that. It's one of the liabilities of my vocation. As people expect me to talk. (laughs) And friends are not common. Not common. But that's the idea. A deep and abiding personal concern for your well-being. And he cares for you and for me, and he wants that not to be bound up in damaging, tumultuous pride that ladens us down with anxiety, but humility and peace as the product. What's best for us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for Peter. often gets a lot of the short end of the stick in terms of his stubbornness, lack of wisdom on many occasions. But Father, we thank you for his restoration to useful service, particularly as a shepherd, and the truth that he gives us from this book. We thank you that you care for us and are concerned for us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
Have a great week.